0: When big events in life happen, there's usually some sort of detail that sticks around and is remembered long after the event, right? So think of a wedding. There's so many details that go into planning for a wedding. Um, the table centerpieces and the dresses and the bouquets. So when my parents got married, they got married in May, beautiful spring, and so my mom wanted lilacs to be part of her wedding bouquet. Really beautiful idea. And she went out to pick the lilacs on the day of her wedding, and they were spent. There were no lilacs for her wedding bouquet, and so there were no flowers for her wedding. And so her sweet brothers, I can't even believe they did this, put in an ad to the radio, And said, our sister is getting married, and if you have a lilac tree that is still in bloom, please phone us. We will come. We will cut the flowers. Nobody called them. But they drove around the valley and ended up knocking on some dear person's home in Mission and cut their whole tree down so that my mom could have lilacs on her wedding day for her wedding bouquet. Very sweet. And every year when my parents celebrated their anniversary, there would be lilacs in the house for... The month of May, let's remember our wedding anniversary. Let's have some lilacs here. So they did that in the early years to remember, oh, our sweet anniversary. And they did it for more years and more years and for decades. And I cannot smell a lilac to this day without thinking about my parents' wedding. I wasn't at my parents' wedding. But somehow this very tiny detail of a lilac got ingrained into my memory of their wedding. When something especially wonderful happens in life, we want to remember those moments and we do something so that we can remember them and pass them on to people. And that's exactly what is happening in our passage this morning. So last week, Israel was in slavery and Yahweh rescued them. This is the most important event, way more important than a wedding. The most important event that the nation of Israel had experienced. They were redeemed from slavery. And so there were a lot of dramatic details involved in them coming out of slavery. Uh, Pharaoh's firstborn son and all of the firstborns in Egypt were killed and a lamb had to be slaughtered and the blood on the doorways, all these little details. And so our passage today is God is saying, remember, remember that I brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So this is what Israel needs to do in response to their great rescue, is remember, and our passage teaches us how they are to remember that they are redeemed. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna work through the passage, a little bit of Bible study style, just work through the passage so that we know how the Israelites are supposed to remember that they're redeemed, and then we are gonna draw three lessons for us today out of that. So remember you are redeemed. So let's start, what does that mean for the Israelites? So chapter 12, last week, recorded the event of Passover. And as we read through the event, there was also some instructions for the future, what they needed to be doing. So there's a lot of repetition about what will happen, what is happening, what you need to do in the future. And we ended last week, chapter 12, verse 42, because Yahweh kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor Yahweh for the generations to come. And so our passage today is about how to do that. So in verse 43, Yahweh is speaking to Moses and he's giving him instructions how to remember. And then Moses takes those instructions and delivers them to the people. So Yahweh, when he is speaking to Moses, he starts with some commands for the future feasts. This is what you need to do in your feast to remember me. And then he also gives Moses some commands about the firstborn. And Moses takes that then in chapter 13, verse 3, and gives those commands to the community. Commands for future feasts and commands about the firstborn. How are you going to commemorate this day? Well, you're going to do it with some feasts. You're going to eat the bread without the yeast. Okay, so just a little side note about the yeast. They had to eat it without the yeast to remember how very quickly they had to leave Egypt. There was no time to put the yeast in. They also had to eat this feast with their cloak tucked in, another reminder how quickly they had to run and flee away. There's not really a lot of spiritual significance to this at this point, just remember the details. You had to run quickly away. And the why, so Moses tells them what to do and he tells them why to do it. Three times in this beginning section, Moses says, remember that Yahweh brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. The whole reason you gotta do this feast is so that you can remember that Yahweh brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And then he gives some commands for the firstborn. Redeem your firstborn. What does the word redeem mean? It's kind of a weird churchy word, but we use it, right? We know this word. When we go to superstore, you go up the ramp with your buggy, the first thing you see is the wall of coupons. And I scan it, and I'm like, "Mm, 30 cents off yogurt. So I take that one, go do my grocery shopping, and I go to the cashier, and they're going to tell me $1.59 for your yogurt, please. Oh, but I have 30-cent coupon. But if I don't give them the coupon, I have to pay $1.59. I give them the 30-cent coupon, I have redeemed those 30 cents, and now I only pay $1.29. So we we know, we use this concept of redemption all the time. It's literally to just have an exchange, something that you didn't possess, you now possess because you did a full exchange of that thing. So God says, you need to redeem your firstborn son. Somehow exchange your firstborn son. He's owed to me. You have to exchange him. So how? Well, God says, all the firstborn males, animal or human, belong to me. And Moses talks about how you have to redeem the donkey. You have to redeem the donkey with a lamb. And the firstborn son needs to be redeemed too. But in this passage, we don't exactly learn how. How is the firstborn son going to be redeemed? Moses doesn't tell us that bit. Yahweh doesn't mention that here. There is, If you are curious, in the whole Bible connections in your lesson, you can go through and do a little bit more Bible study on that how and trace it through uh, the future of Israel, how they need to do that. But what we do know from this passage is why. Why they need to redeem the firstborn son. Moses tells the people, when they say, what shall we say to our son when they ask, what are we doing? In verse 15... He says, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. And this is why I redeem each of my firstborn sons. This is going to be a sign to you, it is going to be a symbol to you on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. It's so that they can remember how Yahweh brought them out of Egypt. And how did that happen? What happened to Pharaoh's and the Egyptian firstborns? They were killed. The firstborns were killed. And what happened to the firstborns in Israel? They were redeemed by the blood of that lamb. And so consecrating the firstborn to God, it's again so that the people will remember that Yahweh brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember, you are redeemed. So the commands both for the feasts and for the, the redeeming of their firstborn son is to remind them of this. This is a memory, this is an event in their history that needs to be seared into their brains and passed on to generations and generations and generations to come. Remember, Israel, you are redeemed. So what does that mean for us? Well, there's three lessons I think that we can draw from remembering that Israel was redeemed in this way. So you have a page on your table, and I have those three listed on there. We learn that God is inclusive and he is exclusive. We learn that ritual is good. And we learn that Jesus is the firstborn son. So let's go through each of these lessons in order. God is inclusive and exclusive. And we see this in chapter 12, verse 43 to 49. Who was surprised last week when we read that the Israelite men left Egypt with their wives and their children and many other people went up with them? Just a little tiny phrase just slipped in there. Who knows the story of of the the Red Sea splitting and and remembers those two little words? Many others. We think this is about the Israelites, and it is. It's also about those others who came up. If we remember way, way back to our very first lesson, we talked about the covenants back in Genesis, and God made a covenant with Abraham, and part of that covenant was, Abraham, I am going to bless the world through you. And in that moment, when we read that many other people went up with the Israelites, we see, oh, this is kind of how Yahweh is starting to do this, how he's starting to bless the world through the Israelites. It is the greatest blessing to the world that other people than the Israelites can be part of this covenant community. And so Yahweh is showing how that is even possible. And in 1248, we read the instructions that a foreigner, a non-Israelite who is residing among you, those many others who came up with you, if they want to celebrate the Lord's Passover, they must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he can take part, just like one born in the land, but no uncircumcised male may eat it. So here, God is providing provision so that those who are not Israelite, but want to be in relationship with Yahweh, can be in relationship with Him but the condition is that the foreigners, the males, they need to be circumcised. You see the inclusion? Come. Many others can come, but the exclusion, you have to come this way. Anyone can be redeemed if they want to, but they need to follow the requirements. I think sometimes we don't like the sounds of that, but it's kind of a normal operating guideline in life. So let's get out of the ancient world and let's go to Hawaii because it's not raining there, I don't think, right now. So you're in Hawaii and you want to rent a car because there's this beautiful road to Hana and there's, you know, you drive up the mountain. I've never been there, but I've heard if you ever go, this is what you need to do. So I'm going to go to Hawaii, I'm going to go at the airport and be at the car rental place and I tell them about my grand plan to get a convertible and drive up this amazing mountain and Twisty Tourney and all the music I'm going to have and it's going to be so fun and they're getting excited for my experience and then they say, can we see your driver's license? I don't have a driver's license. And the conversation is ended. They cannot rent me a car if I do not have a valid driver's license. That doesn't seem mean or arbitrary or old-fashioned. It just seems that if you want to participate in that community of car rental land, that you actually have to play by the rules. There's a contract, and you need to agree to the terms of the contract. We should see, really, how incredibly gracious God is, how incredibly wide open his invitation to be part of his community is to have relationship with him. It's at the very beginning of the Bible here, his interaction with people, how he wants to and does make provision so that his people, or people, his people, the Israelites, can be in relationship with him, but also people who aren't his people, people who aren't Israelites, can come and be in relationship with him. So that's at the beginning of the Bible, we start seeing this play out. And then we get to the New Testament and we learn about Jesus and we hear the gospel. It is wide open, it's also narrow. Jesus says things like, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's open to all. Come to me, Jesus says. But Jesus also says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and not be able to. They'll want to come through, but not on God's terms. They'll want to come through on their terms. The gospel of Jesus, it's inclusive. Come, it's open, it's wide. But it's exclusive. Come this way. It's narrow, it's specific, it's particular. Anyone can come to God, but it has to be on his terms. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved, and that means there's requirements for what we believe, there's requirements for our behavior, but we should see this as a generous provision of God, and we should accept the terms of his salvation. So if you are sharing this news with people who don't know the Lord, you're sharing this with your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, Don't cut the corners off of the gospel. They can come. They can totally come to be in relationship with God, but they have to come on God's terms. They need to know the terms. And if you're here this morning and you are investigating the claim of Jesus and you're wondering, is is this a God who can be trusted and who is worthy to follow? Come, you can. But you can't negotiate your terms with God. Investigate Him for what He says. You can have God. But it's going to be on God's terms, not on your terms. To be in relationship with this God, we need to come to his terms. So when we remember that we are redeemed, we need to remember that God sets the terms for how we are redeemed. Anyone can be redeemed. God is inclusive. But if they want to follow God's way, we see that God is exclusive. So our second point then. We've seen that God is inclusive, he is exclusive. Our second point that we learn from this passage is that ritual is good. So how are the Israelites going to remember something? They're told, remember you're redeemed. How are they going to remember this in two years, and five years, and 17 years, and 359 years? How will they remember this in all those years to come? Well, in verse 13, or chapter 13, verses three, nine, and 10, We see this paragraph, and there's four words that are crammed in there. Commemorate this day. Observance. Ordinance. Year after year. There's this do it over and over and over again feeling that you get when you read this section. Okay, why do it over and over and over again? It's going to be a sign. It's going to be a reminder so that you can remember. Well, remember what? That the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand so that you can remember that you are redeemed. There's a real power in ritual. When you do things over and over again, it creates a familiarity. It seeps into your subconscious, and then subtly it goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and it forms you. Why do commercials repeat the same things over again? You hear the benefits of the Swiffer Deluxe and the amazing taste of the pumpkin spice latte, and you actually conclude, I cannot live without these things, because they have been repeated like a woodpecker over and over and over and over into your mind, and you do whatever you can. You dream about them, you crave them, you organize your life so that you can get that Swiffer Deluxe with a pumpkin spice latte at the same time. It's great. This is why we use flashcards for math exams. One plus one is two, two plus two is four, four plus four is eight, eight plus eight is 16. There's this power in repetition, familiarity with concepts. It works. What becomes familiar becomes a part of us. My grandma uh, has really advanced dementia and I've talked about her before. And um, we, me and her, we haven't had conversations for years. Uh, she can maybe, the longest sentence say is, I don't know. How are you, grandma? I don't know. That's a good day. The normal days are, how are you, grandma? Little shoulder shrug a loving look, but no words, just a shoulder shrug. So I go every week and I read to her. And over the years that I have done this, there has not been a lot of conversation. And Every once in a while, though, there's these moments that I get with my grandma where I am able to sing to her. And I do not have this amazing memory, and I pull out my phone, and I look up the hymns and the lyrics to them, and I sing, and my grandma on these amazingly gifted days is able to sing with me, and she corrects my lyrics because she knows the sentences. How in the world can my grandma, who can't form a sentence in conversation, be able to sing hymn after hymn after hymn hymn with me on her best days? It's because the praise is ingrained into her from a lifetime of saying these same songs over and over again in hard seasons and good seasons and happy seasons and sad seasons. They have been ingrained into her heart and in these beautiful moments, they come to the forefront of her mind. This is the influence of the familiar, right? It is so powerful from advertising to math exams to singing praises to our Lord. Repetition, ritual, work. They work their way into us. So what is the most important thing and the whole entire universe for us to know, for us to remember. It's who God is. It's what God has done. We need to remember that we are redeemed. So how are we going to do this? Well, we learned from the Israelites that they had this Passover corporate in their communities to remember what God did to bring them out of Egypt. Ladies, we have been brought out of so very much more. We saw in our learn section that Jesus rescued us from sin, rescued us from our rebellion to God. So what kind of corporate ways do we have when we can gather and we can remember what God has done? Well, we have church. Every single week, we can get together and we can proclaim the excellencies of his name. We can hear the gospel preached week after week after week. We can remember who God is And we can remember who we are and we can remember what God has done for us. What else do we have? We have church every week. We have communion. Where we see that Jesus actually transforms the Passover and it is now communion. It is is a, a routine that we can do often in our church gatherings so that we can proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. We can tell one another This is what we are about as a community because this is what God is about, rescuing sinners. We remember, we need to remember that salvation is not by our might. It is not by our works. Our right standing with God is not something that we have earned. We need to praise the unmerited favor that he has lavished on us. And communion puts us in a spot to remember Time and time and time again, the mighty hand of God that saved us from slavery to sin. So as Christians, we, we need to be part of these corporate routines, these corporate rituals. We, we need to. They need to get deep into us so that we can remember together. It needs to be a priority. Not some sort of legalistic, um, you can never be sick on a Sunday and miss church kind of way. Not not in a crazy rule-setting kind of way, but in a way that is necessary for the fibers of our faith to be so woven together that we remember what God has done for us, to drive home this truth that we have been saved by the mighty hand of God. I think it's really telling that I have friends who, for whatever reason, several years ago, Stopped attending church. Good reasons, yes. Reasonable reasons, yes. But they stopped attending church and they've never returned to church. And it's really telling that they are not currently walking with the Lord. After three years' time, they don't remember what the Lord has done for them. So, how do you think, after years and years and decades and lifetimes, you, your family, your children will remember what the Lord has done? if we are not doing together the routines, the rituals of remembering the Lord in communion and worshiping him together in our church. I know that there's conflicts. I worked shift work for years. I worked lots of weekends. This is a real struggle. It's hard, but I think it's good to know the priority and the extent of the tension so that we can work through this. sports conflict with weekends We get that. Kids are in sports. We're in sports. I get that families um, have different priorities of people in the family, and you have to negotiate and work and respect one another in the family. But I think it's important that we recognize the importance of this so that we can get creative with solutions to our scheduling. Right? At Northview, we have three different times of our services, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Maybe you need to be flexible with where you go so that you can Be part of routine communities so that you can remember, not so that you can check mark went to church, but so that you can remember what the Lord has done. Maybe you need to pray for solutions to problems that seem absolutely unsolvable in your life. Let's pray about that then. Let's ask the Lord for help so we can be part part of these routines. Let's talk with each other. Coming to church, partaking in communion, they're not just things to do. They're formative for our souls. Ritual is good. It's really good, it helps us remember the most important thing that we have been rescued from the mighty hand of God. So ritual is good, it helps us remember we're redeemed. And lastly, we learn from this lesson that Jesus is the firstborn son. So this section is in chapter 13, verses 11 to 16 where Moses is giving instructions. So to understand this firstborn son situation, I'm going to have to put some building blocks and get all kind of the puzzle pieces in order. It's, it's a bit complicated and, and awkward to think through. But remember, in chapter 13, verse 1, God tells us his standard. And his standard is that the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me. Whether human or animal, the first offspring, the first male belongs to the Lord. That's his standard. And if we look way back to Exodus 4:22, we see that Yahweh tells Moses that Israel is my firstborn son. So in order for Israel, who is God's firstborn son, to get out of Egypt, there is a blood sacrifice that is required. There's this substitute that's needed. And in order for them to remember that, to remember that they were redeemed, the firstborn Israel brought out of Egypt, they were redeemed from slavery, Moses tells the Israelites, in the future you need to redeem your firstborn son as a reminder of that. So what in the world does that have to do with us? It seems super ancient and here we are today and none of us are firstborn sons. So what does this mean? So let's jump to the New Testament. In the New Testament, Jews and Gentiles, so the people who are Israelite and all the people who are not Israelite are under a new slave master. We learn this through the New Testament. Paul actually writes to a church in the New Testament, to the Ephesian church, and he says that you are dead in your transgressions and your sins, and you deserve wrath. And it's because you are serving a slave master who is more wicked and more destructive than Pharaoh. And so this is the state of people. And so God engages in the second rescue mission. And he sends his son, his only son, which would make him his firstborn son. He sends him as part of this rescue mission. So here's Jesus, he's born into a Jewish family, the firstborn son in this Jewish family. He's also the firstborn son of God, and he is representing Israel. Remember, Israel is my firstborn son? But really, Jesus is God's firstborn son. And so here we have this son that should have been redeemed, should have been spared death. Remember, that's why the Israelites need to continually redeem their firstborn sons. This son should have been redeemed and spared death, but actually what happens? He was sacrificed. That's the opposite of what should have happened. But this one who should have been redeemed is sacrificed to redeem those who are in bondage to sin and Satan. So, I'm going to tell you a redemption story, if that's not a good enough redemption story. So, I'm not going to top it. In fact, I'm actually going to like way minimize it here. I love popcorn. I'm just going to let you know if you, like if I smell popcorn, I'm going to figure out where it is from. If you come to my house to watch a movie, I will make you popcorn. I love popcorn. It is the best snack. It's also the best dinner. It is just great. Popcorn is amazing. So, you come to my house for a movie, I make you popcorn, and you say to me, this is a great popcorn maker. Where is it from? I don't care where it's from. What I want to tell you is the story. I saved up my points. And I got this popcorn maker because I redeemed my points with it. I cashed in all my points, don't have them anymore, but I have this amazing popcorn maker. I redeemed it. I redeemed it from a useless, boring life, sitting on a storage shelf in some storage unit, in some storage place. I used my points to purchase this popcorn maker from death at the store to life in my house. This is, I told you, it's a good redemption story. Here's the point. This is what Jesus has done. Jesus is the firstborn son who used not his points, but his own life, to redeem us not from death in a grocery store, but from death under the wrath of God, to life not in some house with some movies, but to life in him, eternal life, flourishing life to the fullest. This is totally the irony, is that the true firstborn son was not protected like Israel was, but he became the enemy of God like Egypt was the one who should have been redeemed substituted himself and he became the means by which we are redeemed that's crazy that the one who should have been redeemed substituted himself and became the means by which we are redeemed We become the firstborn of God. We become his children because of what Jesus has done. So the Old Testament, all of this redeeming the firstborn stuff that we're learning about today, it is a hint. It is a pointing forward to the once and for all substitutionary death of this beloved firstborn son, Jesus. So if this is true of you today if you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus himself, there's two things for us to know. The first is that we, as the redeemed, we owe our allegiance to Christ. We owe him our allegiance. Remember the cost of your redemption. It was a blood sacrifice. It costed Christ his life. You belong to God. He has purchased you. He has bought you with a very valuable price. And your life is no longer your own, you are his. So as you study scripture, as you come every Wednesday and we study through the book of Exodus and next year when you study another book and the year after for the rest of your life as you study and dig into the treasure of God's word and learn who he is and who we are and what that means, whatever he says goes. Because you belong to him. And we have joyful obedience because we are His. So whatever, we are going to learn things in Scripture about our money. And it's going to poke us in crazy ways. We're going to learn things about our priorities. And it's going to poke us and learn things about our body and learn things about our sexuality. And and learn things about how we spend our time and with who we hang out with and what we do and our ethics, our attitudes. These things are all going to be poked at from Scripture but we owe our allegiance to God who rescued us. And so we need to pray for joyful obedience and an urgency to live lives that show that we actually belong not to ourselves anymore, but we belong to God. So we owe God our allegiance. But the second thing, do you know the assurance that you have? Because you have been purchased With a price. You belong to God. Do you know the comfort that that brings? The assurance that it is that you belong to Him. If you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, then there is nothing that can separate you from God. Your relationship with Him is entirely secure. Entirely secure. We read in Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 4. Paul writes, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions and it is by grace that you have been saved. We were not God's firstborn, but grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and your salvation is secure Your biggest problem is totally dealt with. Your eternal state is secure in right relationship with God. In Romans, it says, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Our biggest problem is taken care of. We will share in the glory of God, but there are little things in life, right? Little things that make us feel like we're not secure, Little things that make us feel like our problem actually hasn't been dealt with. There's financial issues and relationship issues and our laws change and our kids rebel and we struggle with our emotions and all of these things and it doesn't seem like our problems are taken care of. They seem like threats, but actually they're just little sufferings and if indeed we share in these little sufferings and we persevere and we hang on, we're going to share in his glory. These little threats, these, these little blips along the way, which we need to deal with, and they seem big, but they are little in comparison to the wealth of security that we have in Christ because he has redeemed us. If God did not spare his own son, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So if you are in Christ you have absolutely every reason to be assured that you are redeemed because Jesus is the firstborn son that redeems us. So ladies, let's remember the mighty hand of God that saves us from slavery to our sin. And let's praise him for that. So why don't I pray to that end? Lord God, you indeed are mighty and you offer salvation to anyone who wants it. Lord, I pray that you would help these lessons to inform our minds and to sink into our hearts, that we would worship you because you are inclusive and exclusive. You are unique and you are holy, and God, we love you. God, I pray that we would uh, value the routine of being in places that we can proclaim your excellencies, We can proclaim your death until you return. And Lord, I thank you for Christ. I thank you that Christ redeemed us. It is such a scandal. It is so undeserved that we would have salvation, and yet you offer it freely to us. How we praise you, Lord. Help us now in our time at our tables uh, to have discussions that will help us to wrestle through these things and to learn to love you more. We pray in your name. Amen.